Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. And I'm Rebecca. And this is the Yikes Podcast. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Yikes Podcast, the podcast about all the things that can make us yikes, the things that can be really overwhelming and scary, that make us want to yikes and run away, but we talk about why we should need to leave, lean into the yikes, um, understand the yikes, and instead move channel towards, the yikes. channel the yikes into action, transform the yikes into mm. action, mm, linking them onto what we're talking about today. Yes, because today um, we have a special guest with us, uh, Kelsey from Cape, uh, and we're going to be talking about prison abolition, particularly in a UK context. Um, yeah, like kind of all around like incarceration, what different types of prisons are, and the like, yeah, state violence, and like also like our kind of like mental structures around prisons, and how we, um, yeah, how, why prisons are obsolete, kind of. Mm. Um, and yeah, we're just gonna have a chat with Kelsey. Um, we're still figuring out um, all of the like online recording with guests and stuff, so we hope the audio is good, and we hope um, that this topic is challenging. I know for many of us it is um, and also for many of us it is like a new conversation to have but we really hope that you take the time and like listen I know I've learned a lot through this conversation and from abolitionists in general over the last year years um, and yeah we all lean into it and we also give lots of resources how you can get involved and act um, so yeah yeah and also we do define the things that we talk mm -hmm. about in the episode so even if this is your first time being exposed to the idea of prison abolition you might have heard about defunding the police over especially over everyone's black square summer um but also following um the murder of george floyd and Breonna taylor um so you you probably have been introduced to these ideas you probably also depending on where you live maybe you live in a community where the police kind of have been like defunded without you knowing mm -hmm. so this is something that you can engage with even if you haven't been exposed to it before um But rather than taking up all this time, just let's get into the episode. So today we have Kelsey coming to speak to us um, from Cape. Kelsey, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Do you mind just introducing yourself um, a bit and like letting us know a bit what your work is and what CAPE is? Yeah, so uh, yeah, my name's Kelsey. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, I'm a prison abolitionist organiser uh, based in London, um, but I'm part of an organisation called CAPE, or Community Action on Prison Expansion, um, which is sort of a national uh, organisation that supports like a network of groups that are based locally that is focused on uh, these new prisons that the government is trying to build all over the country. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I'll talk a little bit more about, like, the specifics of that, but essentially uh, since about 2015, uh, the government has been trying to build at least 10,000 new prison places um, across uh, England, Wales and Scotland. Um, Uh, now that number is up to 18,000 um, that they've just sort of increased that too but um, yeah and uh, we'll talk a bit more about that but our campaign has been focused on trying to support local campaigns because it works quite well to resist these things locally um, while also acknowledging that actually it's not going to be you know just people in the local area who are impacted by that prison people are 
shipped into prisons from all over the country so it also has like national impact so we do a sort of combination there um amazing yeah thank you so much for being here we're so excited because i think we've talked before like very briefly about evolution but like having someone who like does that as their main work and i think both mm. of us are still so much of like on our own like unlearning journeys around mm. this topic mm. uh coming from like different backgrounds and like different standpoints i think but like yeah like having i guess yeah just like different learning journeys around that so yeah and i, I like obviously before we start recording um when kelsey jumps the call i realized that you're the person who's kind of i guess started the like kind of the depth of my like abolition journey i went to resisting whiteness in um in edinburgh which was like a conference about kind of race and lots of different things um edinburgh is very white that's why it's called resisting whiteness um and i didn't realize it was going to be on prison abolition the kind of event that i turned up to and i just i remember my mind just being blown by what everyone was saying yeah. and like yeah it just being a genuinely a really pivotal part in my life where I, I've talked about this to so many other people, but I didn't, I didn't remember anyone's name who spoke. So I could never remember who it was. And then when you dropped in the car, I was like, no way, this is, this is the person. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> or one of the it's people. Me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I um, have been one of the people sort of since around 2017, I guess, like traveling about the country, sort of uh, trying to, do workshops and talks and things like that about prison abolition and there's been sort of this like low-level buzz for a while I think mm. for me or for a lot of us it kind of started <clears throat> to really see that connection in a UK context because it's sort of something that we've heard about a little bit mm. from the US um, but really seeing that movement start to start to build around I think 2017 for me when um, Sisters Uncut in North London occupied Holloway Prison mm -hmm. and started really making those connections between um, uh, domestic violence and the prison system and the ways the state replicates these abusive power dynamics um, that we see within um, violent relationships and the way that the prison system impacts survivors and vulnerable people um, like hugely disproportionately, like that is who it targets and um, really started to see that connection. And when that kind of was quite a big media moment, um, that meant that sort of on the left, there were a lot more groups that started to adopt this language of prison abolition mm. and transformative justice particularly. And I think that there's for a while definitely been a lot of talk about community accountability and transformative justice on the left and not actually necessarily engaging with the prison side of it mm -hmm. um, and really connecting to like actually how our campaigns themselves may be feeding into the prison industrial complex or even feeding into these narratives of like good and bad or criminal and who's not a criminal and all these kinds of things that are actually like potentially hurting the same people that we're working in solidarity with. So it's... Um, been kind of an interesting time to see that like buzz and that sort of like change over the last few years and then obviously last summer um after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um and people starting to hit the streets in London as well um mm -hmm. uh we started to hear like defund the police right we had started mm -hmm. to hear like um invest in our communities like defund the police but then for me I feel like there's a <laughs> been a little bit of a tricky moment there when at the same time, the Labour Party and a lot of people on the left have uh, for several years been sort of pushing uh, 
against like the cuts to police funding basically because mm-hmm. of austerity mm-hmm. and actually like the Labour Party has been pushing for 20,000 more police on the street and like all these kinds of things and we haven't necessarily had that moment to reckon with that contradiction yet um mm. so which is why I feel like also sorry trains just going past um, <laughs> well I guess for me that prison abolition is is something that is outside electoral politics, right? It is understanding that the state itself is invested in upholding these carceral institutions, um, these forms of imprisonment and, and punishment in order to maintain its control, and it always has done. And actually, the prison system in the UK has expanded at times the most under the Labour governments. Do you know what I mean? And like, same with the detention um, uh, infrastructure, all these kinds of things. And so to really reckon with this is a movement that is outside of electoral politics. This is a movement that is like for and by vulnerable people who have never been able to seek support from those systems. Um, they gave me like shivers. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, it's a little bit of a rant. No, 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 that, that was really good. And it's really important, I think, to like make that clear distinction and to show that there is so much nuance that happens and I think in our like movement building and things like that and mm-hmm. it's not as clear cut as like these are and this is and this is I guess what abolition is saying is like they are not the good people and the bad people we are just yeah. the, we are people mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah moving away from that because I think we're for me at least I remember when I first kind of learned about prison abolition it was like having to abolish the like prison in my mind and as well as having and as well as seeing it outside because I realized how much I think that um in our prisons obsolete Andrew Davis talks about this a lot of like mm-hmm. how much it gets like put within us mm-hmm. like prisons should exist and people are good people and bad people and people are criminals and people are not criminals and and there is this yeah. like binary or distinction between people and that's what kind of divides us but kind of I might be going too deep before we've even defined what prison abolition um is but um would you like would you mind just letting us know what prison abolition is and especially in a UK context prison abolition is a as they say, like a social, political, and economic, uh, like vision that is one that um, is anti-capitalist, is a movement for liberation for all people. It is a movement that, um, at its core, is fighting the like infrastructure of white supremacy and understanding that prisons themselves like stand as sort of the epicenter of oppression so yeah so so it's understanding that like um a world without prisons is not just the world as it looks now but just absent prisons Mm. it is a world that is totally transformed in every single way so that there is no space for prisons that we wouldn't even seek that as a solution because it is not a solution Mm. it is just a way to throw people away um because they're too difficult to handle or they are too much of a blight on our society and what British like culture needs to be or whatever it is and um, we just we just put them away um, and that's not actually like solving any of the social issues and so a world without prisons is one where we have eradicated poverty where we have eradicated um, uh, well well, we've eradicated poverty, which is like the big one, right? Where like we've eradicated homelessness. Like imagine what the crime rate would be if everybody had suitable housing that was safe and mm. that was theirs, that they could like maintain themselves, that was totally like actually suitable and accessible for their needs. Um, and if they needed to move because that home became violent, that that was possible. Imagine like all of the different ways that the crime rate would just like, basically disappear, right? Um, uh, a world where like we 
don't just wait until someone's in a mental health crisis to give them support, but we actually like try to build healthy communities so that we're not waiting for crisis and waiting for harm to happen, but we actually have all of these things in place to support each other like early on, you know, and that starts from the way that we parent our kids, it starts from the way that we uh, approach education, we remove these aspects of coercion and punishment from our systems, it's understanding that like within the way that we access healthcare right now, you can be punished, right? Because if you are a black woman who is asking for too much, you can then be neglected and then you can literally be left to die, right? And like, we know that that happens with dark-skinned uh, black women and dark-skinned South Asian women all of the time. Um, we know that people are ignored because of their pain. We know that it's the same people who are seeking uh, services in support of domestic violence, in support of homelessness, in support of addictions, who are also the people ending up in the prison system. Um, and that going to prison makes all of those things worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it's really like looking at the root causes of all of these issues, basically, and actually seeing like, what do we need to do to support the needs of everyone in our society, rather than like just deciding that some people are too difficult. Because we do that from such an early age, like, um, uh, you know, there's there's people who are being excluded from school at the age of six years old. Do you know what I mean? Like, how can you be six years old and teachers are like, I can't deal with you? <laughs> like, <laughs> mm -hmm. and this is a you problem. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. how can we be in a society where that is actually like quite normal? Um, and those aren't even kids that are being violent. Those are kids who just can't sit still. Do you know what I mean? Those are kids mm -hmm. who are late because their mum is working. It's like, this is like kids, be this is, yeah, it's because, it's like all these things where we don't ask why, we just like see a problem and then we're like, right, how do we deal with it? Like, and so abolition is just really taking a different approach, you know? hearing you speak about like different worlds you know like where we actually just like go to the root causes and and just like support people like just because like they're human and like we all should have dignified like lives like I don't know it just like seems so sensible and, like it is sensible, literally yeah. like <laughs> the most normal thing that we should be doing anyways of like yeah like why should anybody be homeless or like why should anybody be pushed in in the different ways where like they're already being criminalized before they actually do anything and like mm. or like they are like dehumanized just for who they are and like and then pushing and then like that we think that isolating them or like putting them away from norm, like from society and societal structures generally that magically they will like be different in a way that's like normally acceptable like all of those ideas just are like so like detrimental to i guess like mm -hmm. the collective but also like the dehumanization that like happens towards like yeah. each other and stuff is is so grim like mm. I don't know I yeah the way that we internalize that dehumanization do you know what I mean mm. the way that um if you to to look at I mean never look at the comments on any article but if you do like <laughs> um any article that's about um violence that's happening in a detention center or in a prison and people will be like well why should I care about this violence they deserve it they committed a crime mm. it's like at no point is that part of your punishment, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's very, like, 
wild to me how we're like so much more punitive than actually like is even legally what the framework is and the system mm. kind of relies on on that um that difference like that contradiction in like I think all of these uh social constructs there's what you're sold that they are and then there's the reality of them right so we're sold like prisons keep us safe bad people go to prison that's simply like not actually what's happening like if you are safe in this world it is not because of the existence of prisons it is because you have the resources to like have a nice house like to have like good security and to be surrounded by people who also aren't in need to like rob you or whatever do you know what I mean like it's because you live in those kinds of neighborhoods and those neighborhoods are not highly policed do you know what I mean mm. um but equally like you know because I, I I think that way about like just any social construct you think about like the gender binary do you know what I mean like we have this idea that there's men there's women you actually look at people and that is clearly not the case mm. Mm. um and and same with prisons like we have this idea that it does one thing but then you look at who's actually in prison and you're like, well, it's the vast majority of people aren't even in there for so-called violent offences. And then when you actually break down what a violent offence is, like how many of those people um, are those violent offences actually like because they were doing something else and then they supposedly assaulted a police officer, for example, but that was actually like resisting arrest or, um, you know, being like attacked by a police officer and of course you fight back but any kind of mm. accidental like bumping into an officer and that goes down as an extra charge when maybe they were already stopping and mm. searching you maybe they were already like harassing you for something else and it's very interesting the the kind of like gaps there but also just the sorry I keep going on tangents um great tangents we love it <laughs> <laughs> the um the reality of like so particularly if you look at um, the women's prison estate, the people in those institutions, like over half of them have experienced abuse in their lives, either as children or adults. Mm. Um, a huge amount of people are in the women's prison estate for not paying their TV license. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Um, a huge amount are in there for drug offences, sex working offences, or offences that are related to someone else's drug use. Um, because they're in an abusive relationship and they are, mm. you know, having to support someone in that kind of way or being coerced into that. The the kinds of the people who actually end up in prison are people who need support generally um, and are people who are just like targeted by that system because of who they are, not because of actually mm. what they've done. When we think about drug offences, like how many like posh white boys are walking around with cocaine in their pockets and not going to be worried <laughs> about being stopped and searched but then young black and brown people who are being stopped and searched three times on their way home from school like mm. these disparities are are like not something that is an accident within the system this is what the system is for like prisons are there in order to maintain the status quo and to understand like that the status quo is that control of marginalised people is that to uphold capitalism, we have to have exploitation, we have to have this class structure mm -hmm. and racial capitalism was built on, like if we, the, the history of prisons, right, is, is that they were literally 
built like these institutions across the Caribbean and across the former colonies, a lot of their first prisons were built during slavery, mm. during those times or just after the abolition of slavery in order to maintain control, in order to um, imprison enslaved people who were resisting. So mm. prisons have always been a way of like responding to the resistance of um, people from the global south and then we see there's no accident that the prison system like exploded on the British mainland during the Windrush era do you know what I mean as soon as we start to see higher amounts of immigration from the former colonies um, we see a huge expansion in the prison population in the detention um, in our capacity for immigration detention and all of these new laws in order to police those people specifically so it's like deeply built in do you know what I mean um, mm. that is like entirely what the the purpose is the purpose has never been about safety or any of these things it has literally been about like maintaining that that structure and that status quo but it's being kind of resold to us now as like yeah, this is how we keep people safe. Like, oh, there's these bad people out there and we must put them in prison. But the track record that the police actually have with things like domestic violence is terrible, do you know what I mean? And if we actually think about, like, um, sexual violence, we know that the conviction rate for rape has never been above 4% of reported cases. And we know that only a tiny proportion are ever reported. So really for abolitionists, like we come at this place not even looking at like what to do instead of calling the police. Like oh, we work with people who are never going to call the police in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Like most of the time when we experience violence in our lives, we we have nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's either it's it's either call the police and make things worse or do nothing. And so people tend to do nothing. Um, and so what we do when we talk about transformative justice, when we talk about community accountability is how we respond to harm in our communities that is happening now. How do we take it really seriously? And how do we do that ourselves? Because no one else, no one else is going to do it, you know? And mm -hmm. so that's, that's where this work comes from. I think sometimes it, people think that it comes from this top level, like hippy dippy, like, oh, like, you know, we can all just live without violence. Like, you know, well, let's all just be nice to each other. And I, actually, it comes from a place of like, some of us are experiencing violence every single day. What are we going to do about it? You know, like we have to do something about it. And transformative justice gives people hope. It gives us like a chance to think, okay, there are systems that we can put in place. There are institutions that we could build that are life-giving rather than taking our lives away, you know? Rather than removing people from our communities, what are the ways that we can keep them there? What are the ways that we can get through conflict that happens on a daily basis and de-escalate harm in our communities rather than having to escalate it to the point where someone is removed altogether? Because um, mm -hmm. that's not working. It's not working. Mm -hmm. And often when it comes to violence, like, you know, people don't go away forever either, right? And like, people will come back and they'll just be even more angry and they'll be in a worse position, more likely to be homeless. Like, mm. it, it's not making anyone better. Punishment has never been shown to actually solve anything. It's literally just like a a pleasurable idea, you know, like really mm. understanding it as like, it's a pleasurable idea, punishment, but it doesn't actually solve our problems. So why are we making these policies like based on that? desire and not actually the evidence which is that the prison population has never been linked to the crime rate you know the prison population has never been linked to the violence rate you know because those those are two different things I wonder if we want to talk about the difference between crime and harm a little bit but um I think for me 
I found that like prison abolition is so hopeful because it is like prison obsolescence. It's like we want to make yeah. a world where prisons are obsolete, mm. like where we don't exactly. need them at all because we all look after each other well enough and people are safe and have dignity and are free from those kind of harm, that harm that creates all these different situations. And also realizing that like in my life, I've experienced so much, so much privilege and so much kind of, and so much safety that I haven't been put in a position where I've been like forced to become violent in some way or, or even just forced to have to, or forced to kind of put my liberty at jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And like, whereas that is not the case for for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be that just because of where you grew up or who you grew up with or anything like that, that you might end up having to live in a cage for many years of your life. Like that just shouldn't be a thing that we accept as normal. And yet it Mm -hmm. is so accepted that prisons should exist and they are normal and like, but I think that you're so right. I don't think, I don't think enough people actually spend the time to sit and think like, is this going to make these people actually better or mm. or is it this kind of pleasurable idea to to want to cause harm and also then we need to reflect on why is the idea of causing another human being harm pleasurable in any way and mm. and how have we yet yeah, dehumanized each other to that extent and i think that what we should want to do is move towards a world where everyone has dignity and everyone is seen as fully human but also we see each other with dignity and as fully human and it feels like all of this is so basic like what you're saying it's all just it it doesn't it shouldn't be radical in any way it should be like oh this makes a lot of sense this is really logical and this is what we should want and yet i feel like sometimes when you say to people about prison abolition or at least in my experience especially in like a healthcare experience because like we obviously see the whole population like i've treated people who are incarcerated and things like that and and when you even mention prison abolition to some people they're just like what that's so Mm. wild why would you ever want to do that it's just such a shocking thing i just i guess i want to hit on the the point of like that it yeah it is like a very core thing to how we understand the world i guess and so to the idea of just getting rid of prisons like it yeah it definitely takes us a while to to kind of warm to that and I think that there's also in terms of speaking about punishment and the desire for it it's also that it's totally understandable like if someone really hurts you that like there's part of you that wants them to hurt um Mm. that that like can be something that we need to be able to hold and be able to like acknowledge but also then not mean that we have to create our society around that being the response, like built around our most violent urges and our most hurt selves. Because Mm -hmm. often we only focus on that, like what the criminal justice system does is only focus on that and expects that to be some kind of healing for the the survivor, right? We have this idea that like, okay, this person will get locked away and then you will feel better. But actually like what's happened to you in that time like I feel like we often don't finish the sentence of like I want this person to suffer because they made me feel you know and so like how do you feel and what do you need and like the criminal justice system even if if it were to put all the rapists away or whatever it wouldn't be solving that aspect it wouldn't be healing us and it wouldn't actually stop society creating more rapists do you know what I mean it wouldn't actually change it and really like for so many of us who experience things like sexual violence 
it's not really even just about that one person. It's knowing that like, mm. this is a thing that exists. This is a mm. thing that can happen to me again. And like, you know, like this pain might not even be over because I'm going to keep getting harassed on the street. I'm going to keep dealing with like fending off like ignorant comments and these kind of things. And that hurt is going to keep being compounded. And so what's really changing about the culture that allowed this to happen to me? Do you know what I mean? And that's what abolition asks us. It's like, we know that we can't undo that bodily harm. We cannot undo something that's been done to the body, but we can try to move forward to like honor that pain and to take it really fucking seriously, you know, to really just be like, actually, this is life altering. And what do you need to like feel safe again, do you know what I mean? And what can we do to like create safety in our community so that this doesn't keep happening to other people? And that is like the closest we can get to like healing collectively, I think. Um, because prison's just not doing that. Do you know what I mean? Prison doesn't ask us to even be accountable. Like people are forced into a punishment and prison is so bad that no one wants to admit what they've done because they don't want to go to prison. Do you know what I mean? We've created like a disincentive to take responsibility for our actions and to actually face consequences because the consequences are so disproportionate and so dehumanizing that actually then we become victimized. Do you know what I mean? Within a prison system where, you know, I consider strip searching to be sexual assault. Do you know what I mean? And so I don't think that anyone should go through that as a feminist. I believe in consent culture and prisons, nothing is consensual there, you know? And so... How can I rely on that system in order to end the violence that I deeply need to end? Do you know what I mean? That is not how I'm going to find those solutions. And I can have like deeply anger about violence and still know that that's not the system that I want to prop up in order to like respond to my anger. Um, and I do think it's a difficult one. Like this is a, a, a difficult line to tread of like talking about like the accountability that we as survivors still have in seeking support from that system. Do you know what I mean? If it's also harming other people in our communities and and how, like, at the moment, there's very little else to offer, right? But we need to take responsibility as communities of building something else because it just keeps, like, making things worse. And, like, yeah, so, so I'm really... Abolition, like, it isn't just about this dismantling and there is a lot to be dismantled, but it's so much about building. It's also, you know, we have to build new institutions, we have to build new structures, we have to, like, change everything about how we live. And we have to be willing to do that work ourselves as well, like, mm. um, touching on what you were saying before, like, we have these punitive desires in ourselves and we need to figure out what is a consequence versus a punishment, you know? Like, we mm. need to figure out... Um, what our community can hold and what is like the limit of like what does it mean to actually allow people to have boundaries you know like what does it mean to really support each other and not just in a way that's like supporting these things of like well you're the person that makes the most money so now you're less accountable do you know what I mean because that happens in families that happens in businesses that happens in every single industry like how do we change these hierarchies so that we like can can rely less on on those kinds of resources and have more of them that are, are ones that we own ourselves, I guess.
we're indoctrinated into this like from an early age, right? Like we have police officers come to our schools to come and be like, you couldn't be a police officer, aren't we lovely people? Like whatever. And then we have um, just like so much... Um, and she touches on this in the, in our prisons obsolete as well. But even in a UK context, like some of the biggest shows on TV are are like about police, right? Line of Duty yeah, like had Brooklyn something like 11, nine, yeah, all of yeah, these, yeah, exactly. yeah, these Line things, of Duty yeah. had like eleven million people watch the finale live. Do you know what I mean? And that's on TV, mm. which like I know a lot of a lot of young people who are like don't watch TV anymore. But there's clearly a lot of people in the UK who are still watching that stuff and really. Mm the way that that kind of, not just in this way of like, oh, you just believe everything that's on TV, but clearly, like quite evidently from my experience of doing prison abolition workshops, like often we're talking to people who are defending these institutions and you can tell that their main impression of them is from TV. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that they are definitely envisioning a courtroom as they've seen it on TV. They're envisioning a police cell and a police station as they've seen it on TV. They've not really been to those places themselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is how the police operate. And of course, like, you know, that is true. And that will be from fiction that like, <laughs> why would we believe, we don't believe that about like other institutions, but for some reason the police, we're kind of like, yeah, this is probably how it works. They're the good guys. <laughs> like they use all of this fancy technology to get other corrupt cops and not to police young black and brown people on the street. No, no. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like clearly that's what all that technology is for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, all of the evidence and the way that all of this stuff is, is portrayed is definitely accurate and and that's how it goes and so we have a lot of kind of misconceptions about how these institutions even work I think like kind of floating around in the culture um but um in terms of different types of incarcerations so we have like obviously essentially because it works on this binary of like we have the men's estate we have the women's estate the men's estate is much bigger than the women's estate um, but they are planning to like expand the women's prison estate um, at the moment as well. Um, and then we have children's prisons. So we like are now starting to see a new type of children's prison being planned, which is going to be called the Secure School, which is for 12 to 17 year olds, um, which will be like basically in the same building as like what was a secure training center for uh, basically like a young offenders institution that closed because it was uh, because of the violence and like how awful it was there but they just like putting a new look of paint on it calling it a se- secure school and letting a charity called Oasis um, partner with uh, the Ministry of Justice and the Department for Education to run it um, which is a Christian charity I don't really understand is also being built in an area that is like an area where we'll be targeting like a lot of GRT communities mm-hmm. um, also yeah and it's in like Kent so it's likely to be like young people from South London as well mm-hmm. sort of um, targeted by that institution um, and obviously we have like a range of detention centres and uh, which we consider to be a type of prison um, mm. and all part of the prison industrial complex, uh, immigration removal centres, and that's obviously changing in its landscape uh, rapidly at the moment as well with the like army barracks being used and um, mm. 
we're seeing like a real connection between these things as well because Morton Hall, which was a detention centre, is being closed but turned into a prison for quote-unquote foreign nationals. So how that is different really like um, is not super different basically um, in terms of the reality of what that building is being used for. Um, And so we're really seeing kind of why it's so important to within our campaigns against detention and against deportation to like not be feeding into these narratives of like we're not the real criminals or whatever because like Mm -hmm. the government will make you the criminal do you know what I mean they will decide to make a law that then applies to you if it doesn't currently apply to you um and so we can't we have to be a bit a bit more savvy than that I think um Um, was, I mean, we've especially seen yeah. that with the like the policing bill that's the um, that's being put exactly. through. Like that is a, a real time way we are seeing how it's chosen who is criminalised and who is not criminalised. Especially yeah. how that bill is going to affect like um, GRT communities um, mm-hmm. and lots of other communities as well. But it's specifically targeting specific communities that they don't want to be part of society mm-hmm. and just making their existence criminal. It's just, and I think that's a good. That's a way that I found at least has been like that I've used to explain how these things are choices. You can really see this through this new bill coming through. Like these are choices that are being made of of who is wanted and who the state doesn't want and what they'll do um, to prevent that. And I think also like when thinking about, it honestly breaks my heart to think about like children being put Mm. in like prison. I don't know why it makes me want to cry just thinking about it. But I remember also um, like Akala spoke, I think he was asked um, if he was prime minister for one day, like what would his policy be? And um, he said that he would like get rid of like all youth prisons or whatever and mm. um, start like farms in the countryside that were like run by like olders in from these boys communities. And if, and that they could like have it be a space where people are actually just like respected and safe and like look, looked after each other and like could could go home as well and it wouldn't be in that way because he was talking about how in it costs more to put a young person um in prison than it does to send a kid to Eton which is like I'm not sure if that's completely true but if if it is that is like shocking and it also shows that they could choose to put people in somewhere where um they would be looked at well I guess looked at I don't know how safe Eason is to be honest but, but like I more mean on a, on, a, on, a, on a level of like the resources somewhere they would send their children yeah 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 the resources would absolutely go further into in like some kind of scheme towards people's well-being mm-hmm. um if that was their intention do you know what I mean if the intention mm-hmm. was ever to have less of these institutions then that is the stuff that they would be doing but because that's currently not the case um yeah and I think that's beautiful like we talk a lot about the connection between prison abolition and land justice um Mm. and even if you were to literally on like a very physical basis think about what would you do if the people were given all of the land that the ministry of justice and the ministry of defense currently own do you know what I mean like Mm. the amount of housing and like the countryside and the space in cities and like all of these different things that would be available to people of color <laughs> mm. um if if you were to literally just do the maths on that by square footage do you know what i mean and the amount like that like reparations and like land justice like can be a very like i don't know like yeah there's a very like uh i don't know um 
what I'm trying to say, like a very concrete demand. Do you know what I mean? I think mm. people think of it as like quite vague, but actually like if you were to literally give all of that land to the people, like it would make a huge difference to our well-being and what we could do. And like um, currently the Ministry of Justice like owns a lot of land and that those are the bits of land that they're targeting to like build these new mega prisons because they were looking originally to like purchase bits of land and things like that and it's been a lot harder to do that so now they're just trying to build them like on the extra bits of land next to existing prisons and things like that and um if they didn't have all of that land already then um you know they wouldn't be able to to keep building cages on it (laughs) Mm. um and that's, I think that's just such a beautiful idea of like, I'm just imagining like if that land, if that land was like, all of that land was just given back to the people and people could like have community like gardens and community um, farms and grow their own food and, and be, and have more like dignity and safety. And I think if that would be a much more well society and therefore we wouldn't have the same sort of things that we're seeing and the same amount of harm probably wouldn't be in cause of people just well and safe. And it shows... I think that's what is important with whenever we talk actually on the podcast about anything, but in genuinely in life, is all these systems that exist and all the harm that's being caused is like deliberate choice of harm of who's being mm-hmm. who the harm is being caused against. All of these things, and that's why I think I resist a lot of the like we live in a broken system like narrative because I'm like actually I think a lot of these systems work for who they were intended to work for, and yeah. they are they harm the people who are intended to be harmed, or at least the people who are intended to be harmed are like an accepted consequence for the benefit of the very few. But then I also think that I don't even think these things are benefiting all of us. I think all of us are harmed by prisons in different ways, even if it's how we view each other and how much Mm. we can live in the fullness of our humanity if we're still having to dehumanise other people in order to feel safe ourselves. Like that is still causing harm. And um, someone who we've had on the podcast before, Jo's one of our pals, Jess, um, she talks a lot about like healthy humans and the importance of like, being mm-hmm. healthy in, in a community um, for us to live in like a just world. And that's how she does a lot of her like dismantling white supremacy work is is moving towards this idea that if we were fully human, and uh, sorry, fully healthy and human, we wouldn't need to cause the harm to each other. And that's why I think that dismantling all of these different systems benefits all of us. And I think we need to remember that um, as well. And But also I do want, I do want you to expand a bit on what you're saying about mega prisons, because I think that's something that's yeah. happening now. And I think it's important that that's something that tangibly, I think, all of us, everyone who's listening can help act to resist. Um, and it's important yeah. that we do. Yes. Uh, so in terms of the mega prisons, so um, like I was saying at the beginning, the government, um, they officially announced this in, I think, 2016, where uh, this thing called the Prisoner State Transformation Programme, which um, it's really um. offensive <laughs> that they use the word transformation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like all the co-option and all the things Mm. and um they uh and they were going to build 10,000 new um prison places um but basically almost none of those prisons have so far been completed um I think like because they didn't actually have the money for it um then obviously like all this Brexit stuff has been happening and like things have been delayed but also because there's been resistance um the first yeah, the first one that they had tried to build, or one of the first, was in Port Talbot in South Wales. And that was defeated um, because of a community campaign um, and because of sort of like a, a Welsh 
nationalism slightly that uh was really against the idea of like building more english prisons in wales um but um so it's not necessarily abolitionist um yeah. <laughs> kind of like we quite like some welsh prisons but um <laughs> oh, gosh. also quite that well, same kind of thing happened in jamaica as well actually yeah like, the british ex- officer exactly. built prisons in jamaica and jamaicans were like we don't want your prisons but we'll have yeah they were like we can build our own prisons thanks yeah. very much and it's like no we're so close like um yeah. But we're, but we can work on that. Do you know what I mean? Currently, mm-hmm. there's not a plan to build a, a prison in Wales, which is great. And like the people who campaigned against that, like, uh, you know, worked really hard and did some like really amazing things, getting that many people to sort of um, object to the uh, consultations and things. And then now, so, so yeah, so all of the sites that they are now currently like that they have their that they're like proposing are now out, which is why I thought it was great, a great time for us to do this podcast. Mm. Um, Wellingborough and Glenparver um, in the Midlands are two prisons um, that uh, essentially were kind of, they're kind of replacement prisons. And those are the ones that are already like um, almost, well, they're underway basically like they're, they're in the process of being constructed, but they're two cities where, um, there were prisons that closed and then um, and were emptied and then they're like building these new prisons like basically on those sites. So there's quite a like pro prison sort of culture in those like areas because people felt like hard because also obviously these are all the same areas that are being targeted that have like lost a lot of jobs in other industries and have been hit hardest by austerity. But obviously then the narrative is given like, oh, like, you'll get more jobs because we're building these prisons, so now we want prisons, basically. Um, So that's kind of what's going on in the Midlands, but it really, like, it doesn't mean that hope is lost. Like, there is still um, uh, chances to disrupt that and to, um, yeah, generally, like, make prison construction a less uh, sort of appealing industry to get into for these construction companies, for these big corporations. So... Kia, for example, is this big uh, construction company that you will have seen sort of like, they're also part of HS2, they're also part of like all mm. kinds of, yeah. Um, Other bad things that are going exactly. on. Exactly. Um, but a, um, some some organisers uh, blocked uh, the prison like entrance like a, a couple months ago. And I think even for those few hours, that cost Keir like £1.5 million or something. So like, I love you know it. what I mean? You yes. Can, Sorry, I, yeah. lo- I love like successful yes. disruption tactics. Yeah. Like Exactly. Big up these people. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And so these kinds of things, like if you had a lot of people doing this all the time, like it would definitely make it a more hostile industry mm. to be like, oh yes, I'll just innocently build some prisons. Like you'd start mm. to question yourself a little bit, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would, you know, you'd have to start factoring that in. Um, and when a lot of these companies are already sort of like on the, on the verge of collapse, like Kira isn't actually mm. doing well. It very much is relying on these government contracts in order to, to, to make it and a lot of these companies already had like gone under like Interserve and Carillion who were, were big in the prison building and maintenance sort of um industry so so yeah those kinds of companies are like a little bit precarious even though they seem like big monsters like there are ways to make impacts on them do you know what I mean and then mm. there's like a two-pronged part to it I guess it's part of it is like 
obviously giving all of these companies no social license to be able to do these things mm-hmm. and make it so that it's unacceptable to build prisons from like exactly. a social license perspective, but also make it so that it's not financially viable by causing so much disruption that they're like, this is actually too much trouble. We mm-hmm. can't do this. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's like the tactic that I guess a lot of our organizing, we have to kind of do both at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. And then on that other side, and then maybe the third prong is often also that that thing that we've been talking about of like how do we actually change the narrative that we need more prisons you know what I mean how do we get the public on side to even be like actually why after the biggest global health crisis in history are we spending four billion pounds on prisons do you know what I mean like why do we not see that as an incredibly sinister move post-Brexit post-Covid like highest rate like of homelessness that we're going to see in a long time everyone's gone mad so we have like higher mental health needs all of the lots of people are unemployed all of these things just going to be swept up and put into these new prisons do you know what I mean there's the government isn't even pretending that's not the case like their statements mm. are we are anticipating a rise in the prison population that is it that makes my whole body like shiver and it like because of covid we are anticipating a rise in the prison population because of putting more police on the streets we're anticipating a higher prison population we're putting more police on the streets because we're anticipating a higher police like it doesn't actually Mm, it just that's how they keep yeah yeah they're just like we just need more people in prison (laughs) and they're like let's put more police on the street so that we can fill up these prisons and then they're also like well we're putting more police on the street so we better build more prisons. And it's just like, well, where is the, where's like our safety or our well-being or like anything come into that maths? Like it just hasn't. And so mm. it's literally just like a, you know, and considering the government, this government like was really resistant to letting people out of prison during this pandemic, despite the advice from Public Health England, despite the advice from all the prison governors, Boris and Robert Buckland or whoever it is that's at the top, like were like no and like despite four thousand people being recommended to be released in order to save lives during the pandemic because again like part of your punishment is not to be medically neglected part of your punishment Mm -hmm. imagine if you were serving a six-month sentence and the pandemic hits and then you're just locked in and like that could be for a minor offense and you have no idea when you are going to be allowed out because there's a pandemic and all the prisons are on lockdown. Like at what point is that part of your punishment? And then you're stuck inside with no PPE, stuck inside 23 and a half hours a day with no like safeguarding and no like any like, you know, and none of the stuff that every single person was entitled to in this pandemic. Prison is not supposed to mean that you are not entitled to any of those basic aspects of care you're supposed to receive ad- like what's this what's the word equivalent care in prison and you simply don't and so what does that say about what we think of those people the de- dehumanization aspect as well right like mm. what does that mean for the next time there's a global pandemic if we have capacity for another eighteen thousand people at any one time to be in prison when we already have the most people in prison in it than any other country in europe like mm the fact that our our government is like deeply concerned with putting more people in prison keeping them there as we also see from this this bill this policing bill there's a lot of stuff in there that gives a lot more power to parole boards a lot more barriers to once you're in prison to be able to get out again mm-hmm. um the agenda is like to put more people in prison to keep expanding that system and uh yeah i guess 
this I just think it's like really really sinister considering like what we've all just gone through do you know what I mean like with this pandemic it's really really worrying Are you enjoying this podcast? Um, We really hope that you are. The Yikes podcast um, is able to happen mostly because of the financial support from our wonderful patrons on Patreon. Yeah, I mean, Michaela sounds like a super duper advertising capitalist girl, but actually we're two anti-capitalist babes in a capitalist world. And um, by you supporting like the show, um, it just generally sustains it. It allows us to like pay our guests that uh, now and then come on the show and it allows us to do, you know, much more community work and be able to support different charities and just generally, you know, make this make this thing happen. Yeah. And if you don't know what Patreon is, because I think a lot of people might not know, it is basically a platform that allows you to support creators or podcasts or different kind of groups that you really like um, and you can financially support their work directly um, and it kind of stops us having to rely on things like ads which are quite annoying yeah Um, (laughs) so on Patreon on the Yikes Podcast Patreon there are different um, tiers that you can subscribe to so they start from just £3 a month and then kind of go up from there Um, for the £5 a month one you get a bonus episode every single week um, which is just us chatting about a different thing that's just happened in the news or something personal about our lives. Um, they're much more kind of intimate, those episodes, um, and we really enjoy making them. We do Q&As as well over on the Patreon, and it's just another kind of space that we can interact with you guys. And we really love it, and we're so grateful for our Patreons who have made this show possible up until now. And if you'd like to become someone who supports this podcast, if you have the ability to do that um then you can check out our patreon in the show notes or just go to patreon.com slash the yikes podcast um and you can check out the different tiers there and sign up to support this show we thank you so much for your support so far and we hope that you're enjoying this episode it's also connected to climate in so many ways because i think of especially in the states like during the um, wildfires that we saw happen Mm -hmm. um lots like in California yeah. especially they would they weren't evacuating prisons even though in a no. lot of the prisons even though there was huge amounts of wild, wildfires they're putting yeah. these people at significant a yeah. significant risk that was not and yeah was not part of their punishment and people yeah were, exactly. were literally existing the, there made mm. fate like force free labor yeah yeah exactly they even exploit people to force them to go and fight the fires um, while they are imprisoned for free. And these are people, you know, people are not then going to later when they're out of prison be hired as a firefighter because you're a mm-hmm. convict. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it doesn't, all of this idea of like you get these skills through being exploited for labour in prison is also just a, a lie because people don't then, val- people aren't like, oh, you've got this work experience in prison. Like an employer mm-hmm. doesn't see it that way because the stigma is still so so high but equally in the US so so this is something that we should be really paying attention to for the UK as well because if there is no evacuation plan that means that there's there's no backup plan for people who are in prison right so we've seen this before because every year during hurricane season in the US across the south people are not evacuated and in a city or in a whole area where like everyone is told to evacuate the prisons will remain and so people are people die every year mm. because of the hurricanes and there is only now starting to be i think like 
in parts of Texas, like because of the campaign and because every year people go hard during hurricane season in order to try and like draw attention to this issue, they're starting to come up with some evacuation plans in some small areas. But we should be really aware of this because every year our summer's getting hotter. We don't have air conditioning in our prisons. Um, we are experiencing like all of these air- prisons are often built in areas that are like at risk of flooding, all these kinds of things as like climate catastrophe, like, heightens uh, the people people who are impacted by the criminal justice system so people in prison and then also we know that it's people in poor communities as well who are most impacted by poor air quality who are most impacted by flooding all of those same things so whether you're in and out in or out of prison like it's going to be the same people who are are impacted so i think yeah it is it is definitely really linked mm-hmm. um and i, I guess also yeah. when, when we talk about because I think in climate, we talk about a lot how the most Im- the worst impacts of the climate crisis are felt by the most marginalised in society. And when we say that, we also mean people who are incarcerated. And I think that people exactly. leave those people out a lot. They'll be like, yeah. oh, everyone else. But actually, no, we, we very much mean people who are incarcerated because they're the people, like, have their agency removed in many ways and are put in exactly. deliberately more vulnerable yeah. situations. It's It's the disposability, right? Like, you've already been disposed of because you're in prison so like why would there be any of these other like things in place that you put in place for everybody else like you know a backup plan evacuation plan emergency protocols none of these things even though they might be like technically in the there might be something in their policies or whatever these things are not enacted um and yeah like i said there was recommendations from the prison governors and public health england to release 4,000 people during this pandemic and they released about six people, and then two of them were wrong. Like they were not because they were like, oh, we accidentally released a serial killer or whatever, like um, into the community. It was just like, oh, there was the wrong person according to the paperwork who got who was released. Had to bring them back, shut down the program, like you know, because of their own administrative error, um, and. And I don't use the example of like a serial killer to be like, oh, there's actually like really violent people. But I just mean like even by their own standards, like it wasn't even an error that like made any difference to literally anything. But it was enough mm-hmm. for them to be like, oh, actually, let's not let's not release people back into their communities because we can't handle this. And so then it's really been a fight for like one by one people's cases people coming up for parole and stuff and like begging them to be able to like be released during this time and like a couple hundred people or something are out now but like it really considering there's been other countries where they have released like thousands of people because Mm. the idea the, the risk the public health risk that prisons pose not just the people inside but also people outside if you let the virus just run rampant is is considerable do you know what i mean is really really not okay and that they yeah, there was like on one level an understanding that this is actually what should happen and then still on the administrative level just a refusal to let it. Um, and we see that all the time in prison. That's the thing is like to get anything done is an administrative nightmare, you know? So like even stuff that you're technically allowed or whatever, you have to fill out so many forms and you have to be beaten down so many times before you get anything done. Um and that is how this system kind of operates of this, like, you know, all these things that prisons supposedly offer, all these courses, all of these, like, amenities, like, 
it's not it's not true do you know what i mean like it's not the reality that people actually um live with and so when we talk about these mega prisons we talk about reform and like they're being plugged as these really nice new prisons and i'm really concerned for the argument that is always that like well if our current prisons are overcrowded and they're such awful conditions obviously we need newer nicer prisons but there is no promise that the people who are currently in these shitty old prisons will be moved into these newer supposedly nicer prisons but also a prison will never be nice a prison will never be somewhere that is a humane place to live because you're living under such coercion you're living in such tight spaces you have no agency and you are the point is to dehumanize you and at any point anything that's good can be taken away from you as an additional punishment so any nice facilities um that are shown as like well, if you're good, you can get to access this course or you can go to the gym or you can see your family or like anything that could be taken away from you if they decide that you're not behaving how they want you to. Right. And so mm. any kind of reform, anything good, like we've seen this in Canadian prisons where they built, you know, these things that's like, well, if indigenous communities are disproportionately imprisoned, maybe we should have specific prisons for indigenous people. It's like, no, you will therefore imprison more indigenous people in order to fill up those institutions. And then also they will be filled with like horrendously like culturally inappropriate attempts at like tapping into indigenous cultures. Do you know what I mean? That will be awful. And then will also be like these tiny slices of like, oh, you can access this prayer room or you can access this thing if you're good enough and this can be taken away at any time. And so the idea, and, you know, in the UK, like, there's oh, there's women's prisons where you can have a pet. You, there's people who have budgies um, in there. And, and that's like a, a lovely responsibility that you're given, right? Like, and you have this this one thing that you get to, to look after and care for and you get to show that you're responsible enough to look after this pet. Except then if your pet gets ill, what do you do? Because you can't be the one that calls the vet. And so if these guards take a disliking to you, like you are basically being another layer of torture of watching this like thing that you've grown to love, this pet that you have, like suffer in front of you because you're not the one that can actually look after it if it comes down to it. And these kinds of things where like we've been on the phone to the fucking RSPCA try on behalf of a prisoner trying to be like, there's animal cruelty happening in this prison. <laughs> Would you uh, go check mm. that out? And they've been like, where what like obviously that's not <laughs> that's really not something that they can do but it'll be you know the kind of thing that will like attempt just to be like look at what's going on like do you know what I mean and like look at the ways that we're being I just think like I don't know the fact that like our friends in prison even are like asking us to like find emergency care for their pets inside when they're the ones that have been like thrown away by society is mm -hmm. like just a testament to to how we're all just like just to how much this can mean to someone when that's all you have and stuff and that like mm. um how deeply twisted this system is that even within these things that seem like they'd be nice how deeply twisted they can become mm. within that system that is poisonous that is there to punish you right mm. so like how how can anything actually be like good within that um mm. i really don't know and then I guess I wanted to, because I didn't actually finish talking about the specific prisons. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, no, great tangents. We love the tangents. The three that are currently in the process of like, that, that we really like, 
we can beat these. Do you know what I mean? Like these are ones that like we could stop them ever breaking ground on these three prisons, which is Buckinghamshire, which like we got over, there's over 3000 people lodged objections to the initial um, consultation planning stage. Um, and Cape actually got mentioned in the council like feedback thing, which was like mm. a little bit scary, but also cool in a way of like, <laughs> they were like, we think about 2,500 of these responses are because of internet, like, um, like, yeah, people trying to get people to fill out this consultation. I think um, I might have filled out that consultation from one of those Hope emails so. that came through. Yeah, um, I, think, I think I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one from the beginning of the year. And then... Um, yeah, so that but they're moving into the planning permission stages. So then it's really about trying to to defeat them on that level. So um, you can oppose planning permission. This is stuff that like environmentalists know very well. This is a lot of tactics that we've stolen from um, environmental activists, which is like around um, looking at the environmental impact assessments and trying to. Um, you know, find out if there's endangered wildlife or what's going to happen to the water supply or all the different kind of environmental impacts of that and try and delay the process as much as possible so that it just ends up costing them more and more money. Um, Connecting with local landowners if there are bits of land that they need to, like, purchase to complete it or whatever, or, you know, various different tactics to just, like, disrupt and then eventually, yeah, other things can happen. And then... um, Chorley and Market Harbour are the two that have just been announced that are, um, yeah, that consultations have, like, just sort of started. I think when this comes out, they will finish, like, that stage. But, like, definitely people should be looking out for, um, yeah, for uh, the kind of, like, next layers of these because we just have to, like, at every stage, try and delay it and delay it. And I think that with these ones that they sort of very quickly put out a consultation and then been like the end date is in like a week, I actually think some of them will be extended because of the like, um, they've not given people much time basically. And particularly with the Buckinghamshire one, um, the planning permission deadline is like quite short, but they've given a lot of information. And I think that there's like going to be a fair, fair grounds for the, the local community to be like, you need to give us more time because they've done like, yeah a lot of info that um people need to like have time to go through in order to like see what their responses are and how they feel about it um so there's yeah there's like lots of levels that um these can be opposed which is around yeah the environmental impact of them um but also the social impact so like a lot of prisons are obviously fed to people as like we're going to have jobs we're going to have so many more jobs we already know but with previous in the construction projects that they have promised things like oh there'll be 3,000 jobs because of this prison and then actually 200 people have been hired in construction or whatever you know like it's Mm. it's really not a significant amount of jobs considering the impact that it has like on a negative like aspect to our communities um when we could be building like hospitals and schools Mm -hmm. and all kinds of useful stuff housing um like if construction jobs are the jobs that we need there's much better stuff we could construct um Mm -hmm. and then I guess just thinking about I just have this dream that like we could get all the construction unions to just be like we don't want to build prisons do you know what I mean like the workers do you know what I mean like the workers like we should just be able to be like no like you can't build them if we just literally won't build them so like Mm -hmm. um 
but unfortunately if it's like going to be they're trying to even get people who are um released on temporary license so who are rustled who are but so basically still on license to build some of these prisons and stuff they're basically like replicating the u.s system of trying to like get people who are in prison to build prisons or people who have been in prison to build these prisons we spoke to someone in wellingborough who was employed constructing the prison and he'd been in prison 12 times and he had no doubt that he was going to end up in prison again and it was like what you're, end up, you're building a prison that you're mm-hmm. going to end up in like this is so twisted like yeah, but so this cool. is this is what's like, show, like we need to like find ways to tap into our communities to to think bigger and to to dream bigger for ourselves because we're currently like in a space where so much has been taken away from us through austerity and through like decades of neglect that like mm. we're just taking like anything that's offered and whether that's an Amazon warehouse or whether that's mm. a prison or, you know, all these things. And like we need to, there needs to be like a, a collective sort of building of like, yeah, what will we build that's going to be for us and what what will be like beneficial for us for like decades to come rather than like but yeah that's yeah um and there is one being built in scotland as well and i think there's a a local campaign just in case you have because i'm sure you do have listeners up there um uh hmp glasgow is going to be the mega prison up there that um they're looking at the site that is the old uh proven gas works um site that's outside of Glasgow that um, the idea that is kind of being mentioned is that it's going to be a replacement for HMP Barlini, which is known to be like hugely overcrowded mm. and in really, really horrible conditions. But, um, you know, to that I say, <laughs> the amount of time that it's taken for them to build this prison, they could have released a hell of a lot of people from that mm. prison. And if that was their concern, then like a lot of, those people could have been a lot of the people who are suffering inside there could have been released into their communities and we could have built council house you know like a lot more stuff could have been built in this six years since this has been proposed like Mm -hmm. the idea that this mega prison is actually to relieve that is like not you know it's just kind of a a red herring i think and it's going to be new people who fill up that prison not um yeah and so and like i said no prisons are actually nice How could people find like how to get involved with this organizing? Like, how what would be the best place for people to look? Um, yeah, good question. I think like or, like you can email Cape, um, which is just info at capecampaign.org, um, and we can like signpost you to like what is like starting to like blossom in different local areas and stuff. Um, equally, if you search like no more prisons um and then like a place uh you know um then often if there is a local group that will come up like if you search that on facebook or whatever um then if there's a local group and that kind of thing will come up at the like local groups um so like we support some local campaigns and then also like local groups do obviously start autonomously themselves and those aren't necessarily always abolitionists Mm -hmm. and so an interesting part of our work is obviously working around like how do we build solidarity to like uh fight individual proposed prisons even though not everyone in that campaign will necessarily be against prisons 
themselves mm-hmm. like a lot of people in um so the other one is full sutton which is in yorkshire um that one has like yeah gone through to the next planning commission stage and there is quite a strong local campaign there but they um they don't like us very much and we are working on that <laughs> um because uh yeah they're very much concerned about like the way it's going to impact traffic and these kinds of things it's like uh, it's like not in my like, back garden yeah that's what I'm thinking. Thinking. Yeah. there's a, I exactly. like there's there's a lot of parallels that seem I'm seeing a lot of parallels yeah. to environmental organizing mm-hmm. definitely um, like I a lot of the things that you're talking about I think of, like similar. when we've been campaigning with Climate yeah. Camp in Mossmore and against like mm-hmm. chemical plants, like it's it is yeah. very similar organizing tactics. Mm-hmm. So also people who are listening, because I know that a lot of our listeners are like people who organize in climate spaces. Yeah. Like you have a lot of transferable yeah. skills and mm-hmm. um, yeah. definitely use them. Yeah, I think people. It would be great. That's like, like yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because I think it's like it'd be great if more people kind of did realize that. I think prison abolition seems like such a big sort of like vision and such a big mission and like so is climate justice right but like Mm, people have sort of figured out what those individual things are and I think we're still it's less known like what are those like specific parts of abolition that you can get involved in that really are part of that wider vision but are things that you can get involved in today and like if we're going to abolish prisons like one of the first things we've got to do is stop them building more do you know what I mean like if we're going to dismantle them we've got to stop them building them first so stopping mega the mega prisons is like for me yeah like a really important first step and it's a lot of the same skills in terms of community organizing in terms of having to like talk to people about like quite challenging like big subjects and trying to tap into like what are their like values in the local area in order to like yeah get people to like understand why this is relevant to them and why it's going to impact Mm. them like it's a lot of those same conversations I imagine you're having around Mm. climate justice as you are as we are around prisons it's a lot of the same questions about extraction like do you know what I mean what are prisons if not an extractive force do you know what I mean what are prisons if not a colonial um tool in the same way as like extraction of like uh you know from the land and from the earth has been mm. a huge part of the destruction of capitalism of course so i think for me understanding the connection between those two things is really important understanding like overall like capitalism as this extractive force extractive of like the land and the people um mm. and yeah it's the same tactics that we use to resist uh fighting if we desperately if there's more people who understand stuff about planning permissions and all of that stuff like which I think that are more of more of you in in the climate justice movement like please get involved please email us because there is stuff that we miss there is stuff that we don't get to quick enough because we don't have capacity there's like a lot of documents that often like comes with this stuff and really being able to pinpoint these things so that we can like start campaigns like with Wellingborough there were like these bats that we were like pretty sure could have been on the site so we did like a campaign about that like different things that just kind of start to to bring up these things and then on this wider level like what could our communities do with four billion pounds do you know what I mean (laughs) a lot do you know what I mean like that's a conversation to have like Mm -hmm. what would we do with four billion pounds if if Theresa May was getting all this applause for 20 million for domestic violence and we're spending 4 billion pounds on on prisons like yeah i i think that um i think that like 
what all of us need to remember, especially people who say that they're want to be wanting to be advocates for climate mm-hmm. justice, is that that means being actual advocates for climate justice. And climate justice is a principle mm-hmm. that sees that climate is connected inherently to all other issues of injustice and all other all other systems of oppression, and therefore we must be resisting these systems mm-hmm. of oppression. And that needs to look like. I, I do think it's really important for that not to just look like resisting like directly climate things, like mm-hmm. not just doing directly climate organizing, but also being involved in other spaces. Like for me, mm-hmm. I know that in my life, that looks like being part of my like local anti-raids group as well as doing climate trip. Because I realized that like how the home office operates and how it criminalizes people and harms people is a climate justice issue as well. And I can't really, I think it's a bit weird that we so often claim to be in solidarity with, with people, but then not do anything. <laughs> about it i'm like this kind of like claim of like oh i'm in solidarity with this group and i'm like what does that materially look like in your life like how are you actually Mm -hmm. trying to implement that and that's what i think i would just challenge people i know that we can't do everything and we can't we can't like be a central part of every struggle but i think that there are ways in which we can choose to be involved wherever we can and that might like be signing up to the cape like emailing this and just doing the odd consultation whenever that is as well as doing whatever your focus is or it might look yeah. like being an anti-race group or it might look like mm. doing doing these different things as well but I think it's important that we we actually are like materially in solidarity as well as like figuratively and and conceptually in solidarity with people yeah and there's lots of things to materially do that actually like don't take up that much of your time if you're if you're like not able to get fully involved in organizing like filling out these consultations like doesn't take much time like understanding that like, I realised actually um, some of my friends didn't know this. I guess, like, if you're not as involved in following, like, leftists on, on Instagram and stuff, you don't even know about, like, shadow banning and stuff. And so mm. one of my friends, one of these, like, well-meaning white people who was like, um, you know, last summer I'm going to follow all these organisations. I was like, well, you never share anything from them. And she was just like well, they never come up on my timeline. And I was like, oh my God, like to, can you, can we like put in just a little bit of time to search those organizations, just spend five minutes every day searching like five different organizations, see if they've posted anything and boost those posts because they are purposely being hidden. Do you know what I mean? And just having to unpack that a little bit with people um, because maybe you don't realize and maybe like you just thought that following it was enough and then like when you see it you'll share it but actually like it's not enough like you know mm-hmm. like we can actually be a little bit more intentional put a couple more minutes of our day into just like having some organizers or some organizations that we specifically like keep track of and we're like right every time they have a post I'm gonna like actually share that or I'm actually gonna like contact a f- you know send it to a few friends and be like please will you fill this out do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. we can all do those things like I don't actually think it takes that much time out of our, our days you know and um anyway I'm not trying to harangue your listeners but um we we just, harangue them no, all the time, all the time. <laughs> it's all just, the time. It's just like I just think there are like little com- you know not everyone has to be like doing the political occupation or climbing on the roof of Elbit systems or whatever do you know what mm-hmm. I mean but um although it's great that so many people seem to be up for that these days mm-hmm. um it's uh there is loads of stuff that's just like keeping it relevant keeping it present and like these consultations like it makes a difference the fact that like they're aware that three thousand people across the country i mean only about a thousand of those were me doing it over and over again but like um (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> you know, uh, like, you know, the fact that they are logging that resistance, like, shows, like, you know, before, if they were only getting, like, a couple hundred, and now with every consultation, if they start getting thousands and thousands, mm-hmm. like, we can go to the media with that, do you know what I mean? We can start mm-hmm. saying that they're ignoring us. We can start building our case and start, like changing the narrative around these things because at the moment there's you know there's this idea that like people are just happy with how it is and we should just not complain and Mm. actually like a lot of people are very unhappy and we need to like be able to actually like do something with that I think um anyway no but I think that's like so helpful in yeah like some like points of actions and how people can get informed more and I think Like, personally, I know I've learned so much more about, like, from abolitionists about, like, new world building. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it was, like, the first, yeah, like, in many ways, because so much of campaigning and stuff is usually about resisting and suddenly touching, like, yeah, like, kind of, like, learning from abolitionists. I was like, wow, like, new world building is, Mm -hmm. is, like, you know, where so much is happening and where, like, I've personally know, like, I've suddenly allowed myself to actually go to a lot of those root issues and be like, well, what if we sort out this and this and this? And I think this like point of like, rather than just like decreasing anything or like just like stopping this, mm-hmm. it's about this new world building. Mm-hmm. And I've, yeah, I, I think we, so many of us have so much to learn from abolitionists and mm-hmm. like, you know, making like, yeah, I guess like being abolitionists in the making or like getting to those spaces collectively um, yeah. is something we can work on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Marion Carver, Marion Carver refers to it often as a it's like a vision and a politic and a a practice right Mm -hmm. and so you are like practicing abolition every day and that is in terms of the stuff we've spoken about like the ways we have like punitive instincts in our heads and the ways that we like uh dispose of people in our minds and uh have these oppressive tendencies that we've internalized um it's also like yeah that so many of us are part of these systems because of the way that policing operates in the UK like so many of us have been made to be part of these systems um within our jobs and and these kinds of things already and so there's like there's sites of abolition in a lot of different places as well so when we talked about uh types of incarcerations and I what I didn't mention is mental health detention which I consider a type of incarceration and to understand the links between the criminal justice system and the mental health institutions in this country is really important. Like if you refuse a mental health assessment, that can become a criminal offence. And so under a section 136, that becomes then you are then criminalised. Um, and so you are you're having mental health uh, support supposedly like forced on you. Um, and And there's like, yeah, like a lot of a lot of things um, that kind of link those institutions. If someone is being sectioned, it's often the police that come get them. Uh, It's often if you don't have, yeah, you'll be violently put in handcuffs. You'll be treated as if you have committed a crime when actually like someone is supposedly concerned for your health. Um, There's like a lot of links there. And there's a lot of ways that within both the mental health institutions, but then also like the charity sector that like policing has started to be ingrained like we think about prevent right and the way that prevent Mm. has turned Mm. is trying to turn like teachers and doctors into border control um and into into a form of policing right and the ways Mm -hmm. that if you work in a um in a hostel supporting um uh people in a you know in a residence then um 
part of your job will be to call the police in certain institutions. But I know people who are resisting that. I know people who are like, even though this is putting my job at risk, I will not call the police because I know it's going to make things worse. And what are the ways that on a day-to-day basis, people are actually resisting these institutions and resisting policing? And what that would look like, how we would change these things like safeguarding policies and these laws and stuff if actually everyone was like, no, we've come up with these systems actually to deal with this ourselves. You know, like we don't call the police because every time we call the police on on this Muslim resident, like he ends up arrested and that's not helpful mm-hmm. because he needs this instead, you know, like, yeah. and we've put this, you know, like, and the, we know that this happens all the time. And actually there's been people who have been resisting this on a daily basis all the time. And that doesn't have to just mm-hmm. be in your job. That's also like in your daily life. You can be putting someone up if you have a spare room, don't put them on the council house list if they don't have to, do you know what I mean? There's people mm-hmm. who are sharing bank accounts because their friend is not allowed to have a bank account because of like, immigration status or like all these different things like we are doing these things on a day-to-day basis on the ground all the time we're not necessarily naming that as abolitionists it's not necessarily like seen as this like community organizing but it is you know and it really like is coming from that space of how we keep each other safe all the time it's often people who are at the highest risk who also take high risks to keep each other safe it's mm-hmm. not actually the people with the most privilege who are usually letting people stay in their house for free you know <laughs> like yep. do you know what i mean they're always the ones that will be the first to ask for rent like yeah, yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean no absolutely and i think that if i find it frustrating sometimes i think how it ends up being the people who are most at risk who make the biggest risks for yeah. all of us and it's like yeah and then there'll be a lot of people who that wouldn't be as big a risk, but then people aren't willing to do it. It's just mm. frustrating. Um, and also, yeah. I kind of wanted to touch on, especially around, if there's anyone who's a medic as well listening to this, um, mm. Docs Not Cops is a really good um, organisation yeah. you can get involved with, which is like medics, doctors, people in who are healthcare professionals who are trying to resist the fact that progressively this government and the state are trying to make doctors become enforcers of like, especially like immigration, detention mm. and things like that. And um, mm. they're really good to get involved. I just wanted to pop that in just in case people are like oh i'm a medic how can i get involved yes Here's how. <laughs> um also i think i just want to say like thank you so much so much yeah. for being here and for sharing so much and like I genuinely think that couldn't have been better <laughs> it might be more for like how it has described everything I think from a space where if people this people's first kind of exposure to prison abolition they'll be able to understand it but also especially from a UK context because so often like the media that we see around this in the literature is is very US based because that's where a lot of it has been written but it is so important mm. and so like um kind of urgent in the uk and there is so much that we can do here to be resisting that but also like at least i've got from this conversation that and this is what i get from like any kind of conversations i ever have around abolition or like reading that i read around abolition is that it's such a space for hope i find because it is about building these new worlds it's about like refusing to accept the systems and the value systems that we've been told to have and instead envisioning better ones and and always thinking like how can we have more than this and how can we see each other as more human having more dignity and how can we love each other better and actually 
enact that now as well as envisioning that for the future mm-hmm. um and i just want to thank you for just sharing that and for all of you, the work that you do and everyone yeah. get involved we'll put in the show notes um all the information that was shared here mm-hmm. and also we'll share more resources over on the x podcast instagram and on our own instagrams as well mm-hmm. um so yeah definitely on twitter but i mean no one follows us on twitter so no one- <laughs> That won't really do that much, but we'll plug as much as we can and definitely get signed up for everything. Get involved in organising, get involved in resisting all of these things and get involved in building new worlds as well. Yeah, shall I shout out a few groups to to follow and to keep track of? Um, So uh, Corporate Watch um, are like this anti-capitalist research group that they do a lot, you know, they're the ones who really are going through all these government documents and pulling out the important stuff for us all to really, um, you know, grab onto and be like, can't believe they're doing this thing. They're the ones that have gone through all of the boring stuff. So definitely follow Corporate Watch and their articles that they put out because their research is like really incredible and really like quick and up to date often. Um, uh yeah inquest also like i just think it's really important to be keeping track of like the realities of what is happening in the prison system and the um the violence that's happening in inquest um are the group that like um supports uh families who are going through the system and trying to find accountability when someone um is murdered in police or state custody um and they're yeah, they've done various reports that I think if you want to get like a really clear, realistic, like the truth of like what the system is doing, like their reports are are really important, although obviously like horrible to read. Um, Women in Prison is like um, a charity, but it's a solid like organisation for finding stats and, and research. And they are part of like a, a big coalition of groups that is trying to stop these new I don't think I mentioned this fully, but just 500 500 new women's places or 500 new places on the women's prison estate um, that are being planned. Um, They're like campaigning against that. Um, So definitely like worth checking their open letter and stuff. Um, Obviously I'm in CAPE, uh, which is Community Action on Prison Expansion. No more prisons on on Instagram. That's us. You might have seen our memes. Um, And... I really recommend like Sisters Uncut uh, for all their work they're doing around Kill the Bill and for their general like tying like feminism to abolition stuff in the UK. They really like, uh, yeah, reading their blogs and stuff is like a really great way to get a sense of how their perspective has changed and how the politics has changed over time um, and what's been going on on the abolitionist front over the last few years. The Abolitionist Futures Reading Group, if you want to get involved in just like reading more and meeting a few more people who are involved in abolition. Um, and then I'm also part of a group called Cradle Community, which is like a transformative justice uh, collective. Um, and you can follow us. Uh, we're just at Cradle Community. And we we do Abolition 101 workshops. We do workshops on things like bystander intervention, de-escalation, like supporting people with their mental health, like from an abolitionist perspective. Like we try to do some of that like community accountability and transformative justice work in an experimental way like we're still learning we're still figuring it out um but that's where i do that kind of work that's with cradle um so i would say it's worth checking that out and if you enjoyed hearing about like these kind of connections of like how police or if you're like curious about that i suppose rather enjoyed it but if you're more curious about hearing about where these connections like we are releasing a book in november with hajar press um 
it's called Brick by Brick that is um, gonna be sort of like, it's an attempt at like making all of these different connections between how policing and punishment shows up in like housing, mental health, education, like lots of these different spaces and what we're trying to build instead. Um, uh, yeah, so I thought I guess I should plug that a little bit too. Yes, and, um, that's, I can't wait to read that. Yeah, yeah. when is it out? Uh, it should be coming out November. Um, okay, amazing. exciting. Okay, I'll yeah. definitely get on the pre-order if yeah, there is nice. a link, and I will yeah, yeah. put the links for all of these. Um, there's also it's great. There's so many different. So everyone who's listening, there's so many groups you can get involved with. Mm. Just like yeah, ch- like choose choose one, choose two, check check them out, and say that you're say to yourself you're actually going to mm-hmm. like promote their posts i think one thing that's also important to to say is like if you i think if you i found that if you follow a group or something and don't engage with them it actually can like harm their engagement more and like mean that their posts get like pushed down more Even so if you, yeah. yeah so be really intentional with what groups that you're following and choosing to follow and and be intentional about actually wanting to support their work and um, because that's really important and you can just also put on the notifications that if they do put up a post you just get notified yeah and then like, you get notified yeah yeah, yeah. and definitely get involved and, and also bring it just off the social medias as well yeah um, talk like, to other people especially now i think i feel like around covid like you know, so many people have struggled or have said like how much they struggle around like isolation and all of that. Like, I don't know, I feel always like that's such a great like jumping point of like, okay, so like, how do we feel then? You know, mm. like, why do we think prison yeah. would be a good thing when you have struggled of like four days in isolation? Like, which is still really real, but like, you know, that I think it's just like a good conversation starter, I suppose, at this point. Like, Kelsey, thank you so much. Because, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, also yikes wants to be about these things that can overwhelm us and want us to yikes and run away, but we should mm-hmm. lean into them instead. And I think that I hope everyone has lent into this issue yeah. here and acts um yeah i feel like we need to have a whole other conversation but that's another time yeah um yeah have a lovely rest of your day thank you so much thank you so much Like, I enjoyed that conversation so much. I also think we could have spoken for, like, another five hours, maybe? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Kelsey's fantastic, and I definitely want to have um, her back on mm-hmm. in the future. Um, there's so much more we could talk about, especially around organising and movement building and, like, mm-hmm. like abolition within our movements and all that stuff, but we'll have to save that for another episode. For sure. Um, and also, just, like, another shout-out to another podcast, um, Resist and Renew. Mm-hmm. They also did an episode with Cape. Um, with Kelsey. And- yeah and it was like so fantastic and i also learned so much from there so yeah just um from that was like a while ago but still like super important and might just give you some even more ideas on this whole topic Mm. and stuff so yeah um i yeah i can't wait for them to come back on the podcast um and like have yeah more perspectives on like abolition this um episode was edited all the sound magic was done by um finley mowett um this episode is also hosted by myself michaela loach i'm michaela loach on all social medias and uh, myself Joe Becker and I'm Tracy Peace on Instagram and Josephine Becker on Twitter um, if you've enjoyed this episode please do rate it on um, whatever platform you're listening on um, give us five stars good rating it really helps the podcast reach mm-hmm. more people if you've enjoyed this message as well please do um, share it on your social meds or other places mm-hmm. or send it to a pal um, it really helps the podcast reach more people and it's a way that we can expand our learning to the people around us as well um, thank you all so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode bye